2020 was the year I went from light roast Calvinist to dark roast reformed. Now, what is light roast Calvinism, you ask? Great question. Fortunately, it'll be super easy to explain, barely an inconvenience. Light roast Calvinism is a term I made up to describe someone who subscribes to Calvinistic soteriology. Think tulip or the doctrines of grace, and yet rejects the tradition and the theological system in which Calvinistic soteriology was grounded and developed. In other words, the doctrines of grace or tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, really represent just the tip of the iceberg. Light roast Calvinists such as myself, circa 2019, have contented themselves with just camping out on the very tip of our soteriological iceberg, sipping whiskey, smoking pipes, and debating the finer points of election, reprobation, and double predestination. All the while completely clueless to the fact that just below the surface of our Calvinistic iceberg lies the firm foundation of covenant theology and the historic creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith. And so, to sum up, light roast Calvinism subscribes to the doctrine of grace, tulip, but wittingly or unwittingly rejects the broader theological framework and tradition of the reformers. Now, in this light roast Calvinist category, we've currently got a lot of Johns on the scene. Think John MacArthur, John Piper, and it seems like there was at least one more John. John, uh... And his name is John C. All right, not sure about that last one, but definitely the other two, Light Roast Calvinists. Now, to be clear, I am very grateful for Light Roast Calvinists. I was one for many years, and I've benefited greatly from the teachings of men like John Piper. But in 2020, I came to realize that Calvinistic soteriology really is just the tip of the soteriological iceberg. And it is built upon miles and miles of beautiful, sturdy, historic theology and tradition. Which leads me to the three C's of Dark Roast Reformed. Calvinistic soteriology, creeds and confessions, and covenant theology. So if you want to consider yourself dark roast reformed, you got to be Calvinistic, confessional, and covenantal. And so in today's episode of the Reformation Red Pill podcast, we will be giving you a broad overview of the three C's of reformed theology. Think of it like a reformed theology 101 class. And for your benefit and so that you can continue your reformation journey on your own, we have linked a whole host of resources related to today's episode topic down in the description. These were the books, podcasts, and lectures that shaped us in our theological journey. We wanted to gather up those resources and put them all in one place just to make it easy for you. And hey, if you like the podcast and you want to support what we're doing, please go like the podcast, subscribe, share it with a friend, and go give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's free for you, and it helps us out more than you know. And if you really, really want to support the podcast, you can join our Reformation Red Pill Patreon. Turns out, producing high-quality media content is quite expensive. We have a whole slew of cultural reformation, new Christendom-building content that we want to create, is just going to take a few dollars to do it. And by few, I mean probably thousands. So if you like this content and you want more of it, I encourage you to vote with your dollars. And now, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump on into this week's episode of the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Reformation Red Pill Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Hames, and I am again joined with our co-host... Brooks Pottiger, pastor of Pilgrim Hill Reformed Fellowship. Glad to be here. And we have the man himself back in the studio. Robert Murphy. The myth and the legend. <laughs> brown chicken, brown cow. That's the that's the cheap guy version of, of sound effects yeah, there. Right. I'm going to add it myself. So, uh... So for you out there, dear viewer, who are all of you who are even remotely interested in reform theology, this podcast 
It's for you. Today, we will be doing something of an introduction to Reformed theology. Um, so in future episodes, we're going to be outlining and making a case for our particular brand of Reformed theology, uh, because Reformed theology is kind of a big pond, mm -hmm. and we have and our own little niche yeah. in there. Our niche, uh, if we want to get specific, is the Kuyperian post-mill presuppositional theonomic covenant child commuting straight-talking happy warrior Reform theology. Preach, Preach. Amen. Sunday. Amen. Oh, Here no, we go. I need a little dab Getting on some it. church up in here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and if any of those things that I just mentioned interest you, mm -hmm. or if you have no idea what that even means, just join us. Yeah. Come along on the journey. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Uh, this podcast is for you. And even if you just like listening to two smart guys talk to another guy, uh, this podcast <laughs> is also for guy. you. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll let you guys work out the math on that. So uh, before we get into the recap of where we've been and kind of where we're going, we, that's a little bit of where we're going. Brooks, if you want to take... Yeah, well, one of the reformational values is um, not binding the conscience. I don't know what, what video I'm looking at, but I'll guess this one. And so I just want to quickly revisit the last episode on modesty because I think I'm, I may have inadvertently bound the conscience, and I certainly did not intend to, specifically with the yoga pants. To be clear, it is not a sin to wear yoga pants. I was not laying down a law. The, the whole point was let's be thoughtful with what we put on. And so just to be clear, I was not saying godly, yes, that, ungodly, yes, that. Clearly, I was calling for discernment. discernment. Um, and so consciences unbound. Okay, yeah. that's they good. Were bound. Wisdom that's good. overall. That's, that's right. good. Wisdom. Yeah, yeah, wisdom wisdom on how we dress. I love it. Yeah, that was a that was a fun episode, too. Go check it out. Yeah. I keep pointing to the wrong. You go check it yeah. out. Um, all right, so two weeks ago, we covered it. So we, every other week, we do an Ask Pastor Brooks. That's what we did. We did a modesty episode last week. And so every two weeks, we're doing a content-based episode. So two weeks ago, we talked about the four tumors that have been slowly killing the gospel-centered movement. And we talked through those issues because that's where we came from. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what we know. That's right. where we came from. And that's also where a lot of people who are interested in this podcast are currently. Um, and so for us, it was upon discovering uh, that much of our evangelicalism in America seems to be at odds with Scripture and the theology and practice of the church throughout history. And that led mm -hmm. us to take the Reformation mm -hmm. red pill. So yeah. two weeks ago, we discussed some of the major problems in evangelicalism as we see them. Uh, and so this week we want to talk solutions. Yeah. We talk solutions. Um, so uh, we believe that the church in America is in desperate need of reformation, mm -hmm. both reforming where it's at now and rediscovery of the reformation right. that like, we mm -hmm. don't have to reinvent the wheel. So many things have already been flushed yeah, out to claim our inheritance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So we believe that the solution to the problems that we talked about uh, two weeks ago, antinomianism, Gnosticism, cultural Marxism, and toxic winsomeness. The solution is, in fact, reforming to the word of God. And that's what yeah. the original Reformation was all yeah. about. Yeah. And that's what that we're due. It's 500 yeah. years ago. Yeah. We're due for another. Yeah. Fancy um, Latin phrase, ad fontes. Right. Back, Back to, to the, the sources. sources. Yeah. And and the true to, to be truly progressive is almost <laughs> always to go back to the ancient path. It's mm. not to do something yeah. new. That's right. That's right. right. In other words, so we believe the only way forward 
And so look back first to scripture, obviously, but not only to scripture, we also look back to our forefathers and uh, not just our forefathers, but specifically to the tradition throughout church history. And and the reason we look to our fathers is because they were looking to the scriptures and they were often far wiser than we were. Yeah. Follow me as I follow Christ. Exactly. 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 So before we move on, a lot of people hear that, that we need to look back to tradition and they think Roman. Yeah. Roman Catholic. Or they think Tradition. Yeah. tradition, all the way back to being Jewish. Yeah, no, it's that, <laughs> but but I think that 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 word, even the word Catholic, if you yeah. go and you look it up in the dictionary, the first definition is universally derived from one source. So I I for one, you know, we we all go to churches here where we have the the word Catholic in the creed that we say every week mm. and. You know, you could always tell. By it. You, yeah, you could always tell the visitors by the eyebrows mm-hmm. hitting the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, wait uh, a second. Like, like, what? The, I thought this was a Protestant yeah, that church. Yeah, was me at Sproul's church thirteen years ago, maybe. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe that I just confessed I believe in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And I just, I, I refuse to let the Romans <laughs> own that word. Like they don't get to own the word universal. Like I, they can call <laughs> themselves the Universal Roman Church, but I'm not going to let them own that term. Okay, so where do we go? That's good because we, I think we need to make a case here for our viewer people who are new. Yeah. Um, viewer singular, maybe more than that. <laughs> I think at this point, maybe more than that. So, um, but we need to make a case for our viewers. Where in scripture will you, would you point them to to make a case that we should look to tradition? Because a lot of people think, well, we have the word of God. Why do we need to go to tr- tradition? Doesn't the Bible talk negatively about tradition? So where would you guys go in scripture for that? Yeah. I, th- I think, you know, it's certainly a valid point that much of the time, especially in the mouth of <clears throat> Jesus, the word tradition is pejorative. It is negative <clears throat> that you nullify the word of God by your tradition, Pharisees. Like he's... He's definitely, you know, mad about that, but that there's also places where it is, it is super importantly said positively. So I'm thinking of second Thessalonians 2.15, 3.6, hold fast to the traditions that have been passed on to you. Mm-hmm. Paul is, is already, you know, Thessalonians, those might be some of the first letters written and there's already like, this is what we do to have a safeguard against the flesh, against the world, against mm-hmm. the devil. There are traditions that have been passed on and they are in the word of God, but that there's, there's also a richness to community practices. Best practices are talked about positively in Thessalonians. Yeah. So. yeah. And, and, and there were already confessions being formed that, that are part of scripture, which we'll probably get to mm. um, a little bit uh, later. Um, and it's, it's just a false dichotomy or, or a false dilemma to say that the Protestant Reformation was against tradition yeah. and only to scripture. Right. It was against unscriptural tradition back to scriptural. Right. That's right. That's yeah. right. And we, so that the, the Catholic position, I'm, I'm sorry, I just, I, this is the thing I've been all researching lately here, <laughs> is that it, it, I, I have a fancy Latin phrase. I didn't come up with this. I read this. Is that they believe in sola ecclesia. Mm. They don't think that there's only the church. It's like they don't believe the church is the only thing that exists, but they believe that it holds the highest suit of card in its hand and that when the push comes to shove, right. who decides? It's the magisterium of the church. Right. Mm. But we say sola scriptura, which does not mean we read the Bible and nothing else. That would be so low scripture. Right. right. Yes, exactly. That we say instead, who gets to decide ultimately when push comes to shove, when tradition, how do you evaluate tradition? How do you evaluate Mm -hmm. science? How do you evaluate anything? Ultimately, our ultimate allegiance is to the word of God. Right. And and we're even seeing this play out in real time in the capital C Catholic church with these decisions to bless people in, in same, same sex, sex unions oh, man. where it is he straight up 
what is the teaching of the church that is authoritative yeah. going to be and then pushed out into the corners of all the Catholic Church? Our, our yeah. new Reformation that we're going to have today may come out of the Catholic yeah, Church again no, right. yeah, from is, a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we believe that the Reformed tradition uh, is the most accurate and faithful understanding of biblical theology and Christian practice. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we're kind of saying, that they had it right whenever they were saying, we need to get back to Scripture. Yeah. That's that's what the church needs. That's what the church needed back then. That's what it needs now. And so when we're talking about creeds and confessions and tradition, all that stuff, it's all subjected to ultimately to mm-hmm. the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So, Amen. So today we want to give, like we said, an introduction to Reformed theology this is kind of step one down the Reformation rabbit hole, as it were. Now, um, I have I framed this on a tweet recently mm-hmm. as uh, I used coffee. Yes. And you can be a light roast Calvinist, or you can be medium roast or dark roast. Yeah. And uh, and I so I'm gonna explain that a little bit. And so basically, we're gonna talk today about the three C's of Reformed theology. The three C's of Reformed Theology, Calvinistic Soteriology, mm-hmm. Confessional, and Covenantal. And yeah. with the Confessions, we'll say Creeds and Confessions. Yeah. So those are the three Cs. And the way I formulated out the distinction between the light, medium, and dark roast before was me, light roast being Calvinistic Soteriology. That's what we kind of came from. That's the John MacArthur, John Piper, mm-hmm. um, and very thankful for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Even we said before. Mark Driscoll, Young, Restless, Ring Reform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Um, Calvinistic soteriology. They mm-hmm. heard Tulip. They loved it. They dove in. That's great. That was me. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's the light roast. Then we got medium. The way I put it before was medium roast is um, Calvinistic and confessional. Mm-hmm. And then dark roast is Calvinistic, confessional, covenantal. What I realized after talking with Robert and Pastor Brooks is that that doesn't really work because in if you are confessional yeah. as a Reformed Baptist, basically medium roast was Reformed Baptist, right? You're yeah. Calvinistic in your soteriology, and you have adopted the London Baptist confession, confession. of faith. Right. And so you're <clears throat> Calvinistic and confessional. But the the the, uh, the London Baptist mm-hmm. is covenantal. Yeah. Right? It's right. a different – they take it a different place than right. yeah. we do as Presbyterian. Yes. Uh, but it, it is covenant mm-hmm. theology. And yeah. so it doesn't really make sense to have it. So really it's light roast and then the medium and – Dark, two, two brands of dark roast. Two brands of dark yeah. roast. Yeah, let's do it that way. There yeah, there's go. light yes. roast, and then there's two right. brands of there's dark roast. There's French nice. press, and then there's Colombian. Yeah, that's yes. right. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so that's how we're going to break it up today. We're going to talk through the three C's of Reformed theology, uh, starting with the light roast, where we kind of came from, Calvinistic soteriology. And for any viewers who are brand new to mm-hmm. uh, this world, we want to kind of lay out what is Calvinistic soteriology. And then, and then we like to steel man the opposing view. That's kind of what we want to do throughout the podcast. Yeah, is to be very as charitable as possible to people who hold the opposing view, so that we can make our biblical case. Like mm-hmm. We believe this is true. Right. That's right. why we've gone this direction. We believe the Bible teaches it. So, uh, first of all, what is Calvinistic soteriology? So the the idea about like how did I get saved? is that people, Calvin gets a bad rap. A lot of times people think, you know, Calvin and Hobbes is named after this one particular view of of John Calvin that's popular, but not accurate, is that we would say, you know, I got saved. I accepted the Lord. I went down and prayed the sinner's prayer and went to the altar call. I got saved. Why did I do that? Mm. Is that so... Uh, this is the way Calvin talks. This is the way Ephesians chapter one talks mm-hmm. is to say that 
I did that because God put faith in my heart. Mm. I, you know, for by grace, you are saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It was God implanted faith that caused me to do that. The crucial difference between me who follows after Christ and someone, person B who does not, is not rest in me ultimately and that I'm responsible for my salvation. Right. That fancy because word, you, soteriology. you were dead in, in your trespasses. Right. That's right. the whole thing. Yeah. Just as Christ called Lazarus from the grave, he had to call each of us from the grave in order to even see him as Savior. I remember the first time, well, not the first time, but one when it really dawned on me that that is the framework, is I heard John Piper asking the question, mm-hmm. when you get to heaven mm-hmm. and you're standing before the throne of grace, if God were to ask you, why are you here? What is your answer? Mm-hmm. And for so many today, so yeah. many evangelicals today, it's, well, I asked Jesus heart, into, into my, my heart. heart. So the first thing to, the first answer you give is I, is yeah. me. First word. And if you, and, and the way he put it was, if you say in his John Piper way, if oh, you yeah. say Anything. <laughs> yeah, don't slap me. Careful. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But but your grace, yeah. But your grace, right? Your grace. That is why I am here in heaven yeah. yes. with God. It is your grace Amen. alone, not mm-hmm. because I had the smarts to make the right decision and ask Jesus into my heart. It is a gift of grace. That's whenever it was like. Yeah, that's the right answer. Right, right. That's, the, that's yeah. the right answer. Do I give more glory to God or to me? Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 and that's the whole thing. Salvation is designed mm. to get all the glory to God. Right, that yes. is the design of salvation. Right, and a lot of people. So a lot of people, whenever they hear Calvinistic soteriology, the acronym comes into their mind: yeah. Tulip. Yeah, Tulip. And that's really great. That's Calvin lays out in his Institutes mm-hmm. this basic formulation for what. This, they're called the doctrines of grace, yeah. but it's really one thing. You, there's a lot of people who say I'm Calvinian, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like I, right. I, I, you know, they just don't like limited atonement. A lot of yeah. people just don't yeah, four like that. Four point Calvinist. You have the four right. point Calvinist. It doesn't make sense. Right. They, they're a package deal. I didn't realize that before, but they really are a package deal. And if you, especially if you accept the T, yeah. the total depravity. Yeah. Well, let's just, we well, just, what you just said, the, 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 the being dead in your trespass, right. if you really genuinely believe that, mm. that you weren't wooed and like persuaded and come along like you're a corpse Mm -hmm. and that God comes and breathes life into your dead bones, Ezekiel style, and makes you alive. Right. And and it's interesting because even growing up so often you hear, but he stands at the door and knocks. Right. That was to the church. That was to the, yeah, that was (laughs) one of the seven letters to the churches. Yeah. Yeah, That's not talking about a salvific. Right. Yeah. That God is sovereign over it all that you know that you were gonna go through is that the, the total depravity, which may be better kind of set systemic, that the word total right. used to mean that in every aspect. Right. You're, that, you're you're not as depraved as you could be. That's, and that's yeah. why some people reject it is yeah. because they understand a caricature. That's right. that's not what's being communicated. Yeah, I think no, there's some good. I see some good, I see beauty, I see good in people. Right. So they're like total depravity doesn't make sense. Well, but. and that the, but the excuse then is to say my will, the most important one for the other side, the Arminian side the non-Calvinist side, is to say your will is not, you can decide Mm. that you are screwed up in your habits, you're screwed up in your thinking, you're screwed up in your self, you know, being conscious about 
right and wrong, but you're not screwed up in your ability to choose Jesus. You're not dead in it's your the sin. the only thing that's not tainted. Right. Yeah. That one little sliver <laughs> that just somehow squeaked yeah. through. Yeah. And that, and then there must be, you know, something, what's the sound of, I must have done something good uh, uh, in my childhood or youth, mm-hmm. is that that idea that God looks ahead in the corridor of time and says, oh, well, you're going to be awesome, so I'll choose you. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that, that's That's the opposed with the second one, unconditional election. Mm. That it's it's not about God foreseeing what you're going to be like and then responding. Right. Mm-hmm. Who is this responding God that's like, well, I wonder what they'll do. Yeah. 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 And, and if that's the case, why even pray for someone to be saved? Because mm. God's sitting up there with his hands tied. Well, this, I actually even read this today. This was one of the ways that it really landed for me. And it was Jay Packer in maybe the introduction or chapter one to evangelism and the sovereignty of God. Mm. And he talks about how people argue about this very thing, but he can said, I, I can prove to you that you believe that God is totally sovereign over salvation. And it's because uh, you pray for people to be saved. And, yeah. and this Packer where he goes, so on our feet, we can have our disagreements, but on our knees, we are agreed. Mm. <laughs> yes. So classic. Wow. Yes. That is that's, classic. And right. That's right. Yes. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And the people, you know, who would disagree on their, their knees are absolute heretics there. That, that was yeah, a big yeah, thing. Yeah. 30 years ago, open theism came around and people were like, God doesn't know the future. God is right. genuinely yeah. small and handicapped. Like that is so That's bad. beyond the page. That's yeah. real bad. That's right. real bad. That's real out there. So we got unconditional election and then... The one that people yeah, get all upset about here is a limited atonement. It's a very unuser friendly name there. <laughs> yeah. A particular redemption, you could say. Or definite atonement. Definite with atonement. Sproul, yeah. yeah. The, the idea that God came to save mm-hmm. people in particular Mm-hmm. And that for me, the part that really found I found most persuasive was the um, the no double jeopardy. Mm-hmm. That me like, too. That was that, that, was that your sins are punished either on you or on Jesus Christ, yeah. and not never both. That right. he died for all the sins of everyone everywhere, and then some people still go to hell and pay for those sins again. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. That's what convinced me. Yeah, that, yeah. that one to me is yeah, the clearest. The, the, the way I've said it before is. On the cross, Jesus wasn't crossing his fingers. Yes. Okay, I've I've done what I can. Now, yeah. now I really hope people take me up on this. Yeah. He was dying to purchase his bride. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there really was, I forget, um, uh, Peel, I think was his name of a uh, hundred years ago, some traveling evangelist who who genuinely said the 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 Lord cast one vote for oh, you, yeah. the yeah. devil <laughs> cast one against you, and it's up to you to break That's the tie. Classic. <laughs> yeah, it's just like what? That's not good news. That's not good news. So give us what is irresistible grace. So the idea that like you're going, you know, you're going to be called, if you're one that God has died for, he's going to call you, to summon you to mm-hmm. himself, to give you that faith. And you can't defeat mm-hmm. the will right. of God. It's, it's John six thirty seven. All that the father gives me will come to me. Right. That's good. Your sin is not strong enough to keep back the election of God. Man, I, that's one of the things in this that was a big aha moment for me too. When it was, it was put very simply, are you given... When does regeneration happen? Mm. Does faith happen and then you you are regenerated, mm-hmm. or does regeneration happen and then you right. have faith? Yeah, and I the, and the way I was salutus. yeah exactly right. It's yeah. always I've always been like yeah I put my faith in Christ and then I'm regenerated right. But then now I'm like oh it's the t- it's the total opposite of that. If you really were dead, total depravity, really are dead. God has to turn on the lights. God has to raise the dead, and then you see. And then you can see. Right. And yes. then, so he regenerates you, mm-hmm. and then you get the gift of faith. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, okay, so that's irresistible grace. It's we, God's elect will 
be saved. Like right. C.S. Lewis, even against their will, mm-hmm. you yes. know? Yeah. Um, in some sense. Yeah. In some sense. Yeah. And then, all right. Perseverance of the saints. Is that by definition, the elect will make it to the end. Like mm-hmm. who are these people that God chose before the foundation of the world? He is going to all the ways that they need for, you know, all things to work for their good, for their salvation. God has orchestrated all of that for his redeemed people. And we will make it to the end, despite all the craziness of our sin and the, the world and the devil and the flesh. Right. And again, from all of this from first to last is by by grace alone. And we're, we're teaching through the Westminster Confession in our Sunday school right now. And, and we talked about perseverance of the saints and how um, perhaps probably better said preservation right, of the saints. Exactly. Um, it, it's not because we white knuckled it to the finish line, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's because God's preserving grace will see us to the finish line. Yeah. About him. Yeah. He, he who began the good work in you will be faithful to bring it to, to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So. That's great. So that's Tulip. And then my favorite, uh, uh, <laughs> so we have a habit. We want to steal man the opposing side, but let me uh, straw man first and talk, <laughs> and talk about the Armenian daisy. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me not. He loves me not. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a to, good to be, honestly, like, like that, that's so bad. Is that, <laughs> but, like, I know Arminian people who they genuinely go through this enormous mm-hmm. roller coaster of it's, mm-hmm. it's not every other pedal, but like that I got baptized, but now I know so much more and I didn't really have enough, like the faith that I have now, I didn't have then, I should get re-baptized. Baptize them again. Baptize them again, the 20th one, well, because- I, I remember having a conversation with a friend when I was a teenager and, and he raised his hand during the altar call or whatever and I'm like, man, you just got saved? He's like, you know, I, I just kind of do it every time just to make sure, <laughs> like it, it really is, I, I just, I, just to make sure it takes- at, at some point, that's a oh. sacrament at that point. That well, is, yeah. it, it is. There's just no comfort. I mean, yeah. that's a terrible, that's a terrible way to live. So let's steal, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, why? Well, why do people reject Calvinistic soteriology? Sure. And, 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 and this is. I mean, I think it's. Um, we want to say it. It is understandable, humanly speaking, why this is hard to wrestle with, and there are are biblical reasons that that people. Um, reject this, and I think there is emotional reasons, yeah, yeah, um, as well. But um, one of the biblical reasons, um, and we can look at Second uh, Peter three nine that people do it is it says uh, God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so, just if you read that <clears throat> in a vacuum, it, it it seems to be saying, okay, God, God, there, there's a possibility to be, be saved, and God really hopes that everybody. <laughs> Will yeah. will um, repent? Will will be saved? Um, so clearly, he didn't definitely um, decide who's going to do that. If it's kind of an open ended situation like that, um, but something that's really important to understand here biblically, and um, Sproul, I'm indebted to him for really helping me understand this. Probably a decade ago, when I was listening to Renewing Your Mind, and um, yeah. the, the quarter really clicked for me. But th- there are, are are different ways that the Bible talks about the will of God. Right. So there's his first, his sovereign or his decretive will, which is what he um, sovereignly wills to pass, that will pass, that cannot not pass. So Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 is one of the, the clear statements of this. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel, counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Mm. And so that's that's the decretal or the decretive or the sovereign will of God 
that which he decreed before the foundations of the world that must, will, cannot not come yeah. to pass. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then there's also the preceptive will of God. And this is when we're talking about his his commandments, the, the, the moral commandments that he wills that people do. So thou shall not murder. Right. It is the will of God that you don't murder. Right. Has a murder ever happened in the world? Ever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Um, and so every day. Is his will being broken all the time every right. day? In some and, sense. And that's, yeah. and that's what we're praying every time in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Exactly. There is yeah. a place where it's go where those two are the same. Mm-hmm. And that's that's coming. That's heaven. That's the future. That's but right now we've got these two right. in this life. And that's what we pray against every time we're praying the Lord's right. Prayer. Right. Lead us not into temptation. Yep. We we want, yeah. yeah. So that's the perceptive will, and then there's his um, effective will, and that's really his, you could say, his disposition or his um, emotional inclination. So Ezekiel thirty, which is a crude way of putting it, technically, but God lets us do that. Yeah. Right, He gives us that language <laughs> yes. even in Scripture. Right, right. Yeah. Ezekiel thirty three eleven. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. Yeah. Right, and right. so it's it's not that that this is um, he decreed this and he's getting hopped up on seeing people suffer. No, he he does not delight in that. It is not his his will to. To, to see that yeah. in the effective way. I think um, Isaiah calls it his strange and peculiar yeah, one, yeah, is yeah. that this judgment on the the, the reprobate mm-hmm. is 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 out of character, as it as it were. Yeah, and and I think even in a, a human way, we we can understand this as as parents. It is not our will that our children ever feel pain, mm-hmm. right? And yet we would be terrible parents to keep them from all pain. Right, that's part of, and so you see. There is this one will, but there's this other will that's stronger than that. Will. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and so okay. other, so you, those are the like kind of intellectual reasons and scriptural reasons mm-hmm. you were kind of going to, and some other. Before we get into the emotional reasons that people reject mm-hmm. Calvinistic soteriology, the the one I've heard oftentimes is whosoever. Like, what about the whosoever verses? Yeah. And I remember having several discussions with people in my cage stage. Uh, <laughs> coming to this, you know? Yeah. And, um, but there's this, this, um, idea that like John three sixteen, whosoever believes in him, that means, look, it says whosoever believes in him. Yeah. That means anyone can believe in him. Mm-hmm. But if you actually read the passage, it says whosoever believe that whosoever believes in him would have eternal life. So it doesn't say that anyone can believe in him. It says whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not saying and anyone can believe in him. Right. You have to It's take, not a statement about ability. Right. That's exactly right. It's yeah. it's a it's a cause and effect. Right. Whoever believes if this, will receive that. eternal life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um and that's and, if. And you see this in Acts as well, as many as were appointed unto salvation. Oh yeah. Believe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so are there any other textual places that people often I, go people with? People go guys? with the word all, you know, it yeah. means like the, what you were just saying, the whoever, and like they you know, God desires that all men should be mm-hmm. saved, Second mm-hmm. Timothy. And so I think you have to recognize, you know money is the root of all evil is that it can equally be all kinds or even just the human way. Everyone knows that two plus two is equal to four. Well, I doubt, you know, a one-year-old could articulate that. Like this all is sort of the, the human way of speaking. I think the one that I remember is, I think it's just Mark one, maybe Matthew one. No, it has to be Mark one where it says, all Jerusalem went out to John to be baptized. Really? The crippled yeah, guy over there, person. like the guy who couldn't get off his mat to get into the pool to get the angel to heal him, like he went out there? Like not not every single person. God desires that all kinds of men, all sorts of people, that the entire humanity would be saved. I like, um, I think I first heard it from Doug Wilson, the categories of reading the scriptures woodenly, 
versus naturally. Yeah. Uh, and we we were not meant to read them woodenly. Right. I right. have a door. That doesn't mean that yeah, you yeah. have a doorknob. Exactly. Right? Yes, exactly. Where is the keyhole? I think um, another one, which is, again, a, a legitimate question, is First John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, mm-hmm. and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Yeah. yeah. And so what, what do we do with that? And <clears throat> my... Oof. My understanding of, of, of that is Christ came to redeem the world. Yes. He is in the process of making all things new. This isn't all just going to burn and go to hell and we're going to escape to heaven. He is remaking. He is saving. He is redeeming the world, the new heavens. And that passage is the one that lit the flame that made me post mill. <laughs> it was that. That's Because oh, yeah. as a Calvinist, yeah. I couldn't square that circle, yeah. right? Because if he died, if he was the propitiation the whole world. In what sense can that be true? Mm-hmm. I, I remember hearing the the illustration there of like, all right, if we say um, all of the city went out to go see the fireworks show, yeah. but it was just your church, right? That would be false, totally false, right? <laughs> it would be that would, you would be insane to think that. But that's what we say as Calvinists when we say, oh, that means the elect. When it says all, it really just means the elect. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. no, no, that no, that can't be right. That's clearly not what he means, right? And so you either have to water down the word all there, mm-hmm. or you have to water down salvation to be. He just gave an opportunity for all. So you can't, I don't see how you can be a Calvinist and not be post mill mm-hmm. with that verse. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think for one thing for me as a, as a student of history too, is to just look at the BC world that, that one possibility mm-hmm. is to say that what was counted as virtue? What was, what did the word kindness and goodness and selflessness and all these things that we think of as virtues today, what did that mean in BC times? That when Julius Caesar dragged the peoples that he had conquered naked through the city of Rome and crucified Mm -hmm. them at the end of the road, he was considered to be a good and virtuous leader. Mm -hmm. And that what, that, that the BC, I mean, that the world that we see when we read the old Testament is so savage, Mm -hmm. so barbaric. And, and that, now you can travel to the other end of the planet and in Japan, what people consider good and virtuous and selfless is closer to the biblical norms mm. than anything BC sort of times. And I think that the the reimagining of the world, the, the definition of how even people who aren't saved live in a post-Jesus world. Mm-hmm. And so there is a certain sense in which the entire world, including the unsaved. Like the common grace got dialed up. The, exactly. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's let's stay on track here. Let's go with um, the emotional reasons. Because mm-hmm. we've laid out some scriptural reasons that people, uh, ha- their their main hangups yeah. scripturally. But I think, I think it's more... Mm-hmm. I think it starts with the emotional response yeah, and then it goes to scripture because for me, the, what I, the way I understand the difference between those who reject Calvinistic soteriology and those who accept it, it's like the ones who are accepting Calvinistic soteriology, you have to accept a lot of mystery, which is how on earth does my free will operate with mm-hmm. a sovereign God? Yeah. How do, you know, I, I experienced salvation as a real choice, like in time, Yeah, you know, but it didn't feel like a ch- choice, but it was my choice and, but it wasn't, you know? And so mm-hmm. we have to, we have to like, keep some tension. We have to live with that tension. Yeah. I think that the person who they, they experience life and they experience what they perceive to be free will. And that's, that's their, their experience. So they have to outright reject the idea that God can be totally sovereign over everything. They, it's like, they're not comfortable with it. And when they, it's like, they, the Calvinist says, okay, yeah, I just say it's a mystery. I say God is sovereign over salvation, mm-hmm. but I don't quite, I can't quite marry that with, I have total, I have 
responsibility responsibility before yeah, God. Right. Um, but then, so, but the other person, the Arminian has to just say, well, we have free will and I'm going to somehow twist all those scriptures to, to fit this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this feels like we're not, we have less of the scripture twisting. We just accept both mm-hmm. and hold the tension. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, but a lot of people can't, they have these emotional reasons, a visceral reaction yeah. to God I being so I did. Me like, too. Like yeah. when I was way back, um, first getting on this journey, I remember my brother was maybe a year or two ahead of me and I was listening to Sproul and some other guys and I was trying to wrestle mm. um, with God's sovereignty. And I remember saying to my brother, I am doing this right here. I'm choosing to put my hand up, my hand down. <laughs> I made that choice. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I remember him just saying, just keep keep humble, keep searching, <laughs> keep yeah. praying, right. and God will bring... And, and if, if you've read like uh, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, Paralandra there, oh, the, the, the green lady is just yeah. marveling. She is just freaking out of like... What? How could Mel Eldil have had this idea yeah. to create somebody alongside him who is exercising? And like, we don't yep. want to deny that at all. Mm-hmm. That as image bearers, we have dignity and worth and a will and are making decisions. Mm-hmm. And God lets us suffer the consequences of our very real and, yeah. and the benefits of our very mm-hmm. real decisions that we make. And yet... He is God. This is his world, as, you know, Kuiper, we mentioned, mm-hmm. and not one rogue molecule. Yeah. And so I, I find it relatively easy to live with that tension because I can't even conceive of the first part. That yeah. he knows where every molecule is and where it's going and where it's been and where it will go. And what does eternity that mean? Just Can we even put that in our mind? Yeah. That, yeah. And well, then and I, I think, too, the, the order you get, even though I can't on a whiteboard give you a calculus explanation of how it works, it really is the best, has the most explanatory power for the life I've actually Agreed. lived. Right. Where I know that I've made decisions. Yes. I know that I've made very bad decisions. And right. then when I zoom out now, I see God's providence over it all. Yeah. I'll never forget. So my my experience in coming to Calvinistic soteriology was this wrestling for about a year with mm-hmm. God. I was I, I remember saying I could never serve a God who <laughs> right like, right. Yeah. like who chooses some and not others. You know that right. it's not fair. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was going through that, and then I remember I had to just step back from it. I read Bob Goff, Love Does, and I was like, I just need to like love people and just like get my head out of the clouds and just obey Christ. And then I came back to it and it was so sweet, but I, I was sitting, I remember I, I got to disciple some, some guys in college when I had graduated college, some students. And one guy was going through that same thing. And I will never forget as quick anecdote to illustrate God's sovereignty and salvation or God's sovereign hand over all this is we were sitting down, uh, we were texting and he had been absent from uh, our, our college ministry for a few weeks. So I followed up, hey, what's going on? Hmm. And he's like, I'm struggling with Calvinism, with election. I, I really am like struggling with God about it. And I don't know what to do. I said, hey, let's meet up and talk about it. I've been there. So yeah. uh, I, I texted him, hey, where do you want to meet up? And I chose the time. He chose the place. We go. And I start giving him my uh, experience with with coming to this stuff and how I related to him and how sweet it was to me now knowing that God was sovereign over mm-hmm. all things and putting and writing this plan where I I do make choices but you know God is sovereign over all of it and as I talked about it in the middle of our conversation and I'm kind of expressing the glory of God's sovereignty and salvation and election this older man comes up to the table and says can I sit down <laughs> and I was like yeah, sure. And he's like, just for a minute. He goes, I heard, overheard what you guys were talking about just now. And he said, my son, uh, we had, we adopted my son, my wife and I did, and he, it was horrible. Mm. 
Mm. He mm. Uh, started selling drugs. He, we we gave him everything, and he his decisions almost destroyed my entire family. And he went to prison. Today he gets out of jail. Wow. Um, and wow. he's coming to see us. And he said, I have so much bitterness in my heart towards him. And I don't know what to do. And I hear you talking about God redeeming all things and being sovereign over that. And it's like, how could he be sovereign over this nightmare that I've had to live through and all this kind of stuff? And I don't know. I want to love him. I want to obey God and love him. But I don't know. It's like, I just, can you explain this to me and help? And I remember just, it was just this aha moment. It was like a T-ball. Like, because <laughs> right I, I was like, yes, away. actually, um, what your son, what you're experiencing with what your son was what we all have done to God. Right. It was exactly that. He gave us everything and we spat in his face, rejected yes. him, lived for ourselves. Right. And yet he sent, and he didn't give us what we deserve. He sent his son to die for right. us. He gave and, his son what we deserve. That's right. He gave his son what we deserve. Yeah. And he just started weeping mm. and it was this incredible moment. And then he just had to leave. He said, thank you so much. And, and he, and he left on his way. And I look over at my friend and his <laughs> jaw is dropped. <laughs> and he's like, you, he's like, he realized you chose the place. I chose the time, but God put this whole thing together yeah. for that man. Yeah. It was so incredible, yeah. but it was just, Providence. we live. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We live in God's reality. And like you said, I think that I, I have observed this does have the most explanatory power for, mm. for all of all of reality. And so. the most practical benefit, the yeah. most the most payoff for to say that it matters what I do and God is in control. Mm -hmm. And I am not yeah. able to square that circle and to every jot and tittle, but that they are both true yeah. and they both give me so much and, life and, what and joy. After you push through the tension, if you do is it just becomes the most comforting thing. It becomes the yeah. most comforting reality. Oh, so um, sweet. Spurgeon calls um, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, the pillow that the Christian lays his head on. Yes. Yeah. It really, yes. really is. Yeah. So let's, let's finish up this Calvinistic, this first C with like, how, how is this practical? You know, we, we just talked about comfort. What else? How is Calvinistic soteriology practical to the life of the believer? Why is it so wonderful? Why is it good? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's, um, even in reading Kuiper, it, it, it is a, a life system. Mm -hmm. it, it's not just five points That's talking right. about a flower. It is putting God at the center of everything, yeah. um, acknowledging his sovereignty over everything and acknowledging the power of, of his grace in your life constantly. And it is just the light by which you see mm. everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it is the um, concrete foundation that you actually um, live on knowing that you are secure in the grace of God. If yeah. he was not completely sovereign um, over your salvation, over your days, there would not be any security. Mm. But if he is, and he is, and he's good, and he's called you, um, then you can rest. That's yeah. good. And I, I think there's just... The, the, re the revulsion that people want to like push away is that they, you know, worm theology, that God is sovereign and I am just a worm and yeah. I'm pitiful and yeah. I'm, you know, like this would, this would diminish human beings too much. And in fact, it's the opposite mm -hmm. is that the, the payoff is to say that God is in control and he has granted you more than you could possibly imagine in his son, in creation, even to just how much as image bearers, we have dignity and worth and that our choices matter 
in the context of his whole universe that if if we're all that there is, if if we're in charge, then how bad are we yeah. at running this universe? It's mm. just, you know, it's it's the worst. But if he's in charge and he lifts us up mm-hmm. and gives us so much freedom and responsibility, mm. it is it is so much more glorious than having man on the throne to have God on the throne. Amen. And in a season of seasons of, of great sorrow and suffering to know none of it's wasted to, yeah. to, to know we, we, we say this often, but when, when, when we get to the end and we look back, we will all say, I would not have changed a single second of that oh, because so that was the best story that could have right. ever been written. And that, for now it takes so much faith, right? Yeah. But then, it, faith, faith will be said. Yep. Uh, uh, Pastor Brooks mentioned Abraham Kuyper, Sto- the stone lectures, the lectures on Calvinism. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and pause this video <laughs> and go watch the first lecture or listen to the first lecture. They're free on YouTube. You can get the book too of uh, Abraham Kuyper's lectures on Calvinism. Mm-hmm. It is like the the Tim and Eric. <laughs> like it is so good it and good. should be mandatory reading for anyone yes. interested in yes. reform theology. Yeah, it is excellent. And I'm, I think I'm going to do a series of videos on it because it's very important. So that's, and we'll actually, we're also going to put together resources yeah. Yeah. for you. Okay. So that'll be in the description. Click in the doobly do. Yeah. Click down in the doobly do <laughs> or up here on the doobly do. Um, so that's light roast. Mm-hmm. Now that's kind of where we came from. Was we just had that, mm-hmm. and then well, I, yeah, we just had the Calvinistic soteriology part. phase one, yeah. phase one, yep. and then we realized, oh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There is way more to Reformed theology yeah. than just Calvinistic soteriology, right? And it was really in 2020 where that became real for me because mm. I realized all these guys who just have the soteriology part, so many of them were falling victim to a lot of these the tumors that we talked about yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I realized the guys who were not falling victim to this had the dark roast stuff. Yeah. Right. So we're not going to, we're actually, we Xing the medium roast. We're doing the two different versions of dark yeah. roast because yeah. really I was during the madness of 2020 with COVID black lives matter and all that. I saw, okay, here's Doug Wilson. Oh, Toby Sumter. Oh, here's James White and Jeff Bodie Durbin Bauckham. and Bodie Bauckham. Yeah. These guys, what do they have? Yeah. That I don't. Right. Because they were ready for this in a way that so many weren't. Mm-hmm. And that gets into some of this other stuff with the dark roast. And so we're going to go on to the second C, which is the creeds and confessions. Yeah. The creeds and confessions. Uh, they weren't reinventing Christianity. They weren't like discovering these Calvinist things and saying, how can I integrate that into my mm-hmm. new church that we've just invented how it's all done? Yeah. They belonged to Christ church, 2000 years old. Mm, right. And, and they knew where this fit into a larger system. It was not brand spanking new. Well, and that, and it's that reinventing the wheel thing. That was a huge dawning moment for me in 2020 was I realized that I'm reading all of these books that really are trying to reinvent how church is even done. Mm, right. Right. <laughs> right. And I, I've used this metaphor before, but it, it helped me as, as I was discovering um, the confessions and the creeds and spe- especially the Westminsterian um, stuff. And I, I th- thought of, non-denom world that I had been in almost like Ikea furniture where, where it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool and it's useful and it's functional. But the problem is I can't give it to my great grandson. Mm-hmm. He can't inherit it because no. there isn't enough. I've tried putting there. it in a moving van right. and it and doesn't it just survive. <laughs> falls apart. Right. Yeah. Um, and so initially it was um, cool and useful, the non-denom world, but I want something that's, that's cut from, from Oak confessional mm. 
oak that has Good. hundreds of years of use and that I can give easily to my great grandson. That's great. Stuff um, that Boniface cut down. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. come on. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and define it. What for people who are brand new? Yeah. What is a creed and, and a confession. What what are the creeds and confessions? So creed just typically gets things for that are older. Uh, the ones that as the church was um, finding out like, okay, so we say Jesus is Lord and that he's actually God and flushing out Christology, Trinitarian theology, all these controversies when people like Jesus is the highest created being and all those things. First couple hundred years, few hundred years of the church is there's the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. And these were all responses to heresy. Right. Yeah. 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 We're going to define like, okay, so know that Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. There aren't three gods. Yep. All of these things that were hashed out right at the beginning and that are foundational for like, what is Christianity? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Summaries of Orthodox Christian teaching. Yeah. The, the most, a, a distillation of the most um, essential truths of the gospel. Yeah. Yes. Uh, again, even in first Corinthians 15, I delivered to you um, what was of first importance yeah. that. So, and then he goes through just the, the basics of the death and resurrection and then the appearance of Christ. Yeah. And it's that. as a story here mm -hmm. is that Jesus Christ was born of a woman, you know, suffered yeah, with the apostles. Like it's, it's going through and it's, it's the story of the Bible laid out clearly against the heretics and what we actually affirm. So that's creeds. And what are the confessions? So again, then when there was this big, tumultuous time of the Reformation is that you, we, we mentioned earlier the word Catholic there is that how many times these guys were saying like we're here to get back to the essentials of the Catholic faith, the universal faith. What do Christians believe as opposed to these accretions, these extra layers of mm -hmm. junk that have piled on accumulated here, over accumulated years, yeah. over the last several hundred years in late medieval Catholicism. Right, mm -hmm. right. And so there was there was the Augsburg Confession with Luther. There was the Second Helvetic Confession. There was the Westminster Confession, London Baptist Confession, mm -hmm. a bunch of different documents and, where they clarified this. And very simply, we use the term confession because that's what the church confessed Right. to be true. Yes. That's what we confess to be true. To say together. Yeah. And uh and so they are basically a summary of Christian teaching, yes. often as a response to yeah. heresy, but it's a summary of Orthodox Christian teaching. Which again, like like Pastor Brooks was saying, we find in the Bible, Stephen, before he's gonna mm -hmm. get stoned, goes through here's the history of what happened. This mm -hmm. is how we got to where yeah. we are. You know, um, Joshua 24 there, he's going to rehash your father was a wandering Amorite, mm -hmm. like going through and telling the story about what God has done to bring us to this place is a very biblical precedent right. for having these creedal confessional things. The Bible's things. a thick book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. exactly right. Cliff notes from some, yes. time to time. Yeah. That's exactly right. You can't say, and that's that's the whole idea is one, that all the creeds and confessions are subordinated to scripture. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Um, but yeah, that's exactly, that, that's, a, that's a really good point that when someone says, what do you believe or what does your church believe? You can't just start reading the Bible. Right. Okay. You can, we want, we want everyone to be reading the Bible all the time. Yes. But like, if you're trying to explain, hours later, yeah, 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 yeah. You've gotten through a few chapters of yes, Genesis, you yeah, know, whatever. Right. Um, and so we need to be able to summarize clearly, concisely, and honestly, what does our church believe to be true? What do I as an individual yeah. believe to be true? And when I discovered the Westminster Confession of mm. Faith, it was such a relief. Yeah. It was such, because I'm like, do I need to like write a thing, a document that says all the things yeah. that I right. think are true about the Bible? What like, am I missing to think of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And like, oh my goodness. And, and this really is an interesting time that we're living in because there's those like us and there's a whole army of people who are running um, and finding refuge in the confessions and the creeds. Yes. But then there's another side too of, of churches 
that that are getting rid of their identifying statements. Like the church I grew up in, Bell yep. Shoals Baptist Church, got rid of the Baptist. And that's happening mm. in lots of places yes. where we don't want the baggage that some people associate with that. So we're going to mm. get rid of that. We're saying we want more clarity on what do we believe and how do we and more connection to the church throughout history. They've yeah. been thinking through it, right? Yeah. Yeah. For centuries. And how much are Millennia. you a victim of your, you know, zeitgeist, the time that you live in? That's all in you. It's not mm. like these people, mm. you know, who hey, who say no creed but the Bible mm. is how much they have creeds that they just don't articulate. Yeah. There are so many things that are in them from how they were raised, living in this world, going to these schools, knowing these people, growing in, up in these families mm. that gets into you from mm. the world. Well, the the moment the pa a pastor uses the word trinity right he is necessarily confessional in some way because you won't find that word in the bible right yes but that is a distillation of the bible's teaching on the nature and persons of of god exactly. on, on the godhead yeah um i think carl truman articulates this well this this false dichotomy where where some will say um there are confessional and there's non-confessional people and, and that's that's not true he says um and this is from the creedal imperative so if this mm. intrigues you, um, Carl Truman's book on the, uh, called The Creedal Imperative is helpful. He said, the Christian world is not divided between those who have creeds and confessions and those who just have the Bible. It is actually divided between those who have creeds and confessions and write them down in a public form, open to public scrutiny and mm -hmm. correction, yeah. and those who have them but do not write them down. The reason is simple. Every church and indeed every Christian believes the Bible means something. <laughs> and what it thinks the Bible means is its creed and confession, whether it chooses to write down its beliefs That's or really not. That's really good. Yeah. And so what, what's interesting about those who would say no creed um, but the Bible, and again, I, they genuinely believe that, creeds and confessions keep us more biblical because we actually can compare what our confession is. Everybody has confession. It's written down so we can actually make sure it is yeah. as opposed to it just kind of living right. in the air or just Verse by verse. Be, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Subject yeah. your thoughts and as much as possible your unconscious thoughts yeah. to the word of God and that we're going to lay them out there and we, we're all assuming this. We all, is it true? Mm -hmm. Can you find it in the Bible? Mm -hmm. And we're going to subject all of our thoughts mm -hmm. to the word of God by laying them out there and publicly talking about them and not just like, we all know that like, if you just make a decision down in the front, then you're saved and it doesn't matter how you live the rest of your life. All of a sudden you say that out loud and it sounds ludicrously unbiblical. Mm. And that's why the people who fail to articulate what mm -hmm. they believe are able to sometimes hide behind yeah, yeah. like, we, we don't have any creed. We don't believe it. It's just the Bible. Well, let's, well, actually let's get into the steel man then. Yeah. So uh, before we make our full on, make the case for the confessions and creeds, we've already started, but before we get all the way into it, what, uh, why, why are people opposed to creeds and confessions? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think um, they would see them as um, divisive. Um, if, if, if I'm going to say my confession, um, but you don't agree with that, well, then we're dividing the body of Christ. Um, I think part of it, too, and, and, th and this would have been my, my reason, is because we, we don't realize how allergic we are to authority over us. Mm. Um, yeah. And so it's not like I grew up and I, I had the argument for creeds and confessions. Then I said, no, I think the non-denom way. Mm. I just, it was de facto yeah. that confessions and church authority was bad. Right. And, and Brooks with his Bible and coffee and Instagram post about it. Was good <laughs> That's and right. True revelation will yeah. come um, because I, I am a product of this radical individualism. I'm with an allergy mm. towards um, 
towards authority. And I think a lot of people have bought the lie that I think I, I can't remember the exact quote, but to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant is some Catholic guy yeah. said that. And uh, I think it was Newman. But anyway, the, the, the idea that From like- <laughs> <laughs> Got him. <laughs> wow. Is that the the history of the church is that it was Catholic for 1500 years, mm -hmm. then the Protestants came along and they uh started this whole right. new thing. And like that view of history is completely erroneous. Right. Is that if you look at any of the debates that Luther had with the the Romans in his day and that Calvin had with the papists in in, in a generation later, they're always saying, "Look at Irenaeus. Mm -hmm. Look at Augustine. Mm -hmm. right. Look at all and of the these Scriptura guys are the ones who are writing all the confessions. Yes, yeah. right. Yes, that That's they true. said this is what the historic church has always, always proclaimed, yeah. and that that's what we're calling you back to, yeah. and that there is there is no need to be afraid of history. Have there been heretics who've done crazy things in the past? Sure, right. and but that we could look back at what God has been doing through His bride yeah. for the last two thousand years. There's no need to say there God, you know, Jesus. 30 years later, it all fell apart. 1500 years after that, it's, it booted up again. And yeah. somebody turned the computer that had been off on. Yeah. It's like, that's Mormonism. That's mm -hmm. crazy talk. That's cultish. Mm -hmm. And that God has always had uh, a people that he has been guiding in truth mm. more and more right. and more. Luther was not trying to start something new. He wanted right. to reform the church. Right. right. Exactly. So that's good. We, we're not going really deep. We're not totally steel manning. We're just trying to give a charitable, mm -hmm. a charitable steel man, yeah. right? Where we're right. saying there are good reasons that people have had yeah. in the past. You'll end up Catholic. That I had. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had, I got some feedback of like, oh, that wasn't a full steel man. And it's like, okay, well, we don't, we only have so much time. Yeah. So, um, but why we've already dabbled a little bit, but why are the confessions important, good and necessary? I mean, there's just a propensity in the human heart to re-enthrone ourselves, mm -hmm. to put, to go with the winds of, you know, whatever craziness is blowing around at the time and to just get sucked up into that. Mm. And that the the wisdom of, the, the accumulated wisdom of the fathers and brothers before us who have thought through these things mm -hmm. instead of trying to rely solely on yourself yeah. and can I defeat every argument that comes along today and think up and recognize all my blind spots today mm -hmm. is that no, God does not expect us to reinvent the church in our generation, every generation. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Right. It was exhausting. Right, and, and, and it's, it's, it's humbling. It's, it's recognizing that you are part of church history and, and the goal of the body of Christ throughout history is, is to mature. Yeah. And the way that we mature is not by burning all the libraries as soon as, <laughs> yes. we, as, soon as we were born. Right. It's by reading yeah. them. And, and this is mm. a point that uh, Anthony Eslin made in a book called Out of the Ashes, which is, is phenomenal. Um, but he, he makes the point, like, if we would just go up in the attic and there is a trove there full of treasures from church history that mm. you don't have to write. You don't have to make so much hard work has already been done. So much excavation and polishing and building has been done. Mm. Open the lid yeah. and just start pulling them out and then re re use them again. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's just this rich inheritance that men gave their lives for that the Westminster divines over a decade. And I think over a thousand meetings yeah. hashed out the standards. Yeah. You, you think there's some usefulness about that? Um, mm. Right. Of course. And particularly with Westminster, that they're coming at the end of that time period of having got to see what Luther did, what Calvin did, mm. what all of the Bullinger and all these guys that they're really packaging up the fruit yeah. of the reformation that we are so 
we we so much cherish, they're putting it in a, in a very very polished and, form. And one of the the joys of of reading the um, confession is to see their proof texts, hmm. and it, it really turns scriptural lights on and connections hmm. that you never would have made yourself. But then you realize, okay, I'm I'm reading this about the atonement, and then oh, I never really saw how that fit into there. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it really just adds more dimension to your, your understanding. Well, it's the idea too that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Why would we, we're at the top yeah. of this incredible line throughout church history of men who have, are fathers who have done all this work and we're like, I'll just get down from here and I'll build my own new yeah. tower that I can get up on. Sand it's like, castle. Well, yeah, my own little <laughs> sand castle that'll just get knocked over next year. Right. It's like, why, It. I really think it is, it's like we're despising our fathers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. To, to just walk away from all this wealth of knowledge and everything. And it's funny you mentioned the term fathers there is that I think all of us here as fathers then to say like, it seems really pathetic to hand my sandcastle to my children and to say, build your <laughs> life on this. That's good. Is that as you yeah. then try to say, what, how do I get you started in Bible reading? How mm. do I get you started in understanding what is the big picture? What are we talking about? How do you read the Bible? Is that these this soil has been tilled and mm. that when we come to approach our children of what are we passing on, that it is, you have the historic Christian faith Man. that that, that, covenant succession to our to our next generation is so crucial for having historic Christian perspective that we're giving them the one universal Catholic faith to mm. our children. Mm-hmm. And we didn't we don't have time to get all the way into it, but even going along with the confessions, the catechisms, and yeah. that kind of gets to what yes. you're talking about too is like what are we passing down? Madison and I are with with Cal, even though he's only one and a half, but we're already starting. You know, there's little yeah. kids. Cal- Who made catechism. you? God made me. But we're we're trying to memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism just week by week, trying to plug through it. But it's 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 such a relief to be to just go through that and say, if I memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism, yeah. off the top of my head, I can mm-hmm. answer mm-hmm. every basic question yes. about the Christian faith. Right. That is and. Four years ago, I didn't know what a catechism was. I just thought it meant something Catholic. Right. Yeah. But now I'm just like, what? I, I, remember, I don't remember where I learned this. I think this is true. But uh, <laughs> uh, so you guys uh, can fact check me on it. But that the the Puritans. Uh, there's going to be a retraction. Yeah, I know. Next episode, next episode retraction. Yeah. One week go. later. Um, but that the Puritans, if you could be put under church discipline for not catechizing your children, if they couldn't answer the mm-hmm. catechism questions, yeah. you could be put under church discipline for yeah. failing to do your primary duty as a father, yeah. which is disciple the next generation. And whenever yeah. I heard that, when Raise I learned- Raise up your children in the fear and admonition exactly. of the Lord. Whenever I learned that, how serious oh, yeah. they took discipling the next generations and how they had this incredible tool mm-hmm. of the catechism yeah. and the confessions, I was just blown away by that. And I was like- I mean, that that's why we've lost our culture. Well, Calvin straight up said, if we do not catechize our children, we cannot expect them to to, take, to, to learn the faith. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's really simple. Exactly. We right. wonder why our culture is decaying. <laughs> yeah. It's because when's the last time you ever even heard of somebody b- being put under church discipline for failing to disciple their children? Right. right. Never. Yeah. Never have I even heard of that. And it's right. like, that. if we had that kind of commitment yeah. to discipling. And it was an expectation from the elders to the church. I'm not saying we need to put everyone under church discipline who can't <laughs> say the catechism questions, but maybe, maybe in, I mean, five, I just, maybe I mean, in 50 years that needs to be a thing. Okay, I need to take a break. I, I think a lot of the people, <laughs> I got a little heated there. the objections that I hear to infant baptism, where people get so bent out of shape is they're like, what magical thing is this going to do to just you know sprinkle your kid here? That doesn't then guarantee that they're gonna grow up to be a Christian. 
And we never, no one has ever said that we have some, you know, magic sprinkle ritual that we do disconnected from raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, knowing his word, knowing the summary of his word. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about here with the confession is that that is biblical parenting. Mm -hmm. That is what, you know, baptism, infant baptism is step one in raising your kid as God says, Mm -hmm. that that really is super important to not divorce it from how we speak, Mm -hmm. how we sing, family worship, all the things that are your parental responsibility. How, no, would we, we would say absolutely no to divorcing the ritual from the life. Right. Yeah. That just makes no sense. So we have covered a lot with the creeds and confessions. That's a good intro for for people who are new to this world. Let's move on to uh, the second aspect of dark roast, dark roast reformed, and that is covenant theology. Let me get down to there. Um, So that's covenant theology. Yeah, and I think that we've already started talking about that here with uh, our view of uh, biblical parenting and things. The the idea that our God is a is a God who promises mm-hmm. that from the earliest pages of of Scripture, the yeah, the, what is a covenant? Yeah, I'll just say so, that. So what that, is a covenant? This is a famous thing that's very very hard to define, but like yeah. <laughs> solemn promise administered in over life and death with blood. There's all kinds of particular ways that you could try it. But, but I think for a person coming in at the beginning mm-hmm. is that a Uber promise here is, is really a, a fine way to get started. Uber promise. Yes. Covenant <laughs> theology, the theology of Uber promise. Uber promises. The, yeah, the over, but the, the, the idea that God decided in, you know, why did he send his son is that he had elected people before the foundation of the world in the eternal covenant to come and save who he would save, that that would be how they would work as a Trinity. And then, there is a, a good world made good, and some people call it the covenant of life, covenant of works, that Adam was given, you know, why would just failing to eat this one tree then warrant eternal life? Here is that God very sweetly, you know, made this promissory arrangement about how they would have life in the garden. We broke it. We live in sin. We have a sinful nature now. And that the, the, the key, I think the key part there is to say, if, if you expect for Christ's righteousness to count towards you, then you, you have to say like, and also I have inherited from Adam, the right. sinful name, that you're all this, all the biblical language of being in, yeah. in Adam, in it's Christ. the doctrine of the federal headship yeah, of Adam exactly. and then the federal headship of Christ. Right. That was Two a big thing for me yeah. was, and what, cause I used to talk about original sin as a, uh, well, yeah, I believe that we have original sin, but I kind of obfuscated it by saying, but you know you've sinned. So whether you believe in original sin or not, you've you we've all sinned. You know you've sinned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've taken the fruit yourself. But then I realized it, that's it's so important to understand that we inherit right. that sin nature, the federal, yes. the federal right. headship. Because yeah. if you didn't inherit that sin nature, how do you inherit salvation from the obedience of Christ? Right. You inherited the guilt from Adam. Yeah. From one man. From one man. Romans five. Exactly. First Corinthians fifteen. Right. These passages are crucial. And so, to, and let me give a, a framework. So, with covenant theology, yeah, it's basically at its core, it's a hermeneutical principle. It's a hermeneutical, which is an interpretive framework. How to read to explain the Bible. Right. To explain mm-hmm. the Bible. And so uh, it sees... And, and what salvation is. Exactly. God yes. is saving a covenant people, a people that he's made a promise with for, for himself. Right, yes. right. And covenant theology very simply is 
at the most simple level is three covenants. Mm-hmm. The covenant of redemption, which you were talking yep. about before the foundation of By the world. By the blood of the eternal covenant. Exactly. God, the Father, God, Son, uh, covenanting to yeah. rescue sinners yeah. from... Uh, and the Holy Spirit to and the Holy Spirit, yes. Yeah, nobility, yeah. nobility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the what you already mentioned, the covenant of works. Other people call it the covenant of life. Yep. Where God says, do this and live, do this and you'll die. Right. And it, it was... Um, Within Adam's power. Exactly, to yeah. obey, yeah. Right. And then, so that's the one covenant. Yep. And then you've got the covenant of grace, yeah. which after they took the fruit, yep. they have th- this covenant of grace was given to right there in right the garden. at the very beginning yep that you know that, that said this is the new arrangement yes. the way i the way i relate to you is the only your only hope really is yeah. grace because right. you deserve death right yeah and so the covenant, and that your works adam are thorns and you're going to go back to being dust right your work doesn't cut it anymore right is that your seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent and that that is the only hope that we have right there from genesis 3:15 and so onward all of redemptive history is playing out the covenant of grace. Yes. Right, and, and this is one of the important parts about covenant theology is it understands the, the, the entirety of Scripture as one grand narrative arc of, of salvation. Yeah, whole um, Bible theology. Right, right. Like that there isn't... <clears throat> all the promises of God are yes and amen mm-hmm. um, in Christ for his covenant people, which is the church now. Yes. Um, as, as opposed to dispensationalism. So if we say, okay, covenant theology is here, what's what's the other side? What's it dislodging in yeah. an American Christian's life? Right. Because yeah. the we we breathe dispensational air almost 95%. You don't want to be left behind. So right. what yeah. well, what is dispensationalism? <laughs> right. We talked about covenant theology as the, as a hermeneutic a, a, a way of interpreting yeah. the entire story of scripture. Right. So what, and the way of understanding how we apply the old Testament to ourselves as Christians. Actually, as before well. we go on to dispensationalism real quick, yeah. because people hear the covenant of grace mm-hmm. is the sto- the narrative of redemption history, yeah. but then they go, yeah, but Paul seems to talk about the old covenant and that seems like it's bad or different than the new covenant. You, you already mentioned that, so like yeah. that's it's not that it's not hard to understand because they are going. People are by nature wanting to go back to a covenant of works. Is that like you said, Adam was capable of doing it in the garden. We are now incapable, mm-hmm. and you would be a fool to come back and say I'm going to work my salvation. That is the old covenant that we by nature want to come back to and say I want to be under. I want to be judged by my works, Mm -hmm. which Adam was capable, but we are not capable of that. Well, but people will point to uh, Paul talking about the old covenant in the Mosaic Mm -hmm. sense. And so they'll, they'll say, so that's confusing because it's like, wait, is that the old covenant? I thought this was all one covenant and that's where people get confused. I I think that the key thing to understand there is we really need to go back to the Abrahamic covenants Yeah, Mm -hmm. and the Abrahamic covenant, the the covenant that that God made with, with Abraham, that all the nations would be blessed Mm -hmm. through him really is the, the overarching covenant that, that spans from Abraham all the way to Revelation. And how many, yeah, yeah. We just had Christmas readings, you know, in church and how many times Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth are all saying God is now fulfilling what he promised to Abraham, that the nations would be saved as nations and that they don't have to become Jews to be saved. And so we, we admit, we confess that there is a distinction between the time before Christ, yeah. the covenants that leading up to Christ. Right. So then there's the, the, the Mosaic covenant. Right. Um, and then the Davidic covenant and then the new covenant. Um, but 
these aren't different disconnected dispensations. Yes, right. It's all under the covenant of grace, yes. all under the Abrahamic larger covenant. Right. That's then the story is playing out in different times right. along the way. And so especially Hebrews, this is what Hebrews is talking about. Don't, don't go back to the sacrificial system that yes. God instituted for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, which they had to do because Christ hadn't come yet. And so these are, are the shadows and the foreshadowing of what Christ would ultimately mm-hmm. fulfill. Uh, but once Christ came and was the, the final, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, to tell us die, it is finished. The sacrificial system is is dealt with, right? Um, is completed, is fulfilled. Don't don't go back to that now because the 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 new covenant, the the, the full understanding, the full expression, the final expression mm-hmm. of the promise that the Lord made to Abraham um, has has come now. And I think Galatians three is is perhaps one of the the clearest places where I mean, there's a lot of places we could go. Galatians 3, 7 through 8 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. Mm. And so Paul is telling um, the Judaizers and the church at at Galatia that the scriptures preached the gospel Mm -hmm. to Abraham. Is, which is significant. So this is one cohesive story of God saving a covenant people. So to answer your question then, yeah. is to say that in the time of, you know, 50 AD, mm-hmm. when the author of Hebrews can look and say, the temple is still standing and you're Christians, mm-hmm. is that to say, to go back to that, it has been, the new has come and that is now old. Right. But this is, you know, to go, you know, rewind a thousand years, the temple is being built um, by, in Jerusalem by Solomon and such like that. This is the God-given system that is grace-based still, mm-hmm. that it is it is not about you can earn your salvation in the Old Testament. That's, That's what I was taught growing right, up. Yeah. Was the, mm-hmm. the, in the Old Testament, they had to obey the law. That's how they were saved. Yeah. And in the New Testament, we have gr- the grace of Christ. Genesis 15, Abraham believed God. Right. It was who who is the, yeah, the number, exactly, the number one place that Paul and James James and so many of biblical New Testament authors point to for our comparison of who we should say is our spiritual father mm-hmm. as Gentiles is Abraham here, yeah. that this is the model of faith, not the model of obedience, perfect, you know, fulfillment of the covenant of works and that he did everything just right. And he had some separate system, right? That what pastor Brooks just read here is that he had the same faith. Read Hebrews 11. It's right. Only Old Testament right. people being quoted, Sola described fide. there by faith and by faith, by faith, and by it faith. was grace that God came to Abraham. It's grace that God came to Abraham, mm-hmm. g- gave him faith. Yes. It was always grace, faith through every iteration right. of of the covenant of grace playing out through history. God's grace mm-hmm. and then faith, and same with Sinai. Right, yeah. God rescues His people. Grace. It's like that's a pre. Um, that's a pre-salvation, a pre-Christ image of God rescuing exodus, his yes, people yeah. out of Egypt and then giving the law. But s- something that, that people need to understand here is faith is expressed through action. So it's not mm. disconnected from law keeping. It's not right. just thinking and believing. Right. Because yes. if Israel would have believed God, yeah. they would have obeyed God. Right. 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 Yeah. right. Then they wouldn't have been saved by their obedience. They would have yeah. been saved by their faith that was expressed mm-hmm. through Obedience. What is true faith right. is faith that seeks to obey. This is James. Yeah, yeah right. right. And so there's not a dichotomy there. So that's the summary, uh, very, very light yeah. summary of yeah. covenant theology as it relates to covenants. Um, yeah. And we'll we'll get into, bef- 
We're going to go into real quick, juxtaposing that to dispensationalism. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's do I that. I don't think we need to do a, a deep dive here, but it, it is helpful because I would say most of us came from this background and didn't even know there was another option. Right. But it's it's um it's the idea. It's it's another. So covenant theology is a hermeneutic. It's a way of understanding the grand narrative of scripture. Dispensationalism is a hermeneutic um, that sees the nation of Israel um, as distinct from the church and where God still has a distinct plan of salvation for Israel um, that has yet to be realized. That includes the the establishment of an actual physical kingdom mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. in for the nation of Israel. Now, to, to be fair, it's, salvation will still be through Jesus, but there is a distinction between the nation of Israel and the church. So this right. is what John MacArthur is, is going to um, hold to, he'll, he'll call himself a, a leaky dispensationalist. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's because he believes there are a lot of holes <laughs> in it. Um, <laughs> Savage! But, um, but he'll, he'll say, he even says, I put a quote here, um, when a covenant theologian tells me that all the promises that were made for Israel in the Old Testament about a coming king and a coming kingdom, when a covenant theologian says that that means the church, um, my question for them is show me in the verse in the Old Testament where we're told that that actually means the church. Mm. And I'm, I'm really surprised that John MacArthur mm. makes that argument because it's it seems very easily dealt with. That's not how prophecy works. Right, um, right. Once it's fulfilled, you then realize, oh, that the light flashes backwards. That was talking about Christ. This is the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 right. where, where he calls them slow of heart uh, to believe all that the prophets and all that the Psalms and all that Moses said and was yeah. actually talking about, about right. me. Right. So, yeah. I, I would love to hear him respond I, to that. I, I, I truly <laughs> you know? would love to hear him respond to yeah, that. Because yeah. That's what Christ said. He's coming to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Yeah. Luke four. Um, the, and the kingdom is amongst you though. The book of acts, they're, the gospel is often connected to the gospel of the kingdom. It's yeah. now being realized. The king has come. The kingdom is being right. ushered in now. And so the there's also the pejorative way of describing this I've seen from people who are dispensationalists. They accuse us of what, what they call replacement theology. Mm-hmm. And I was talking with you about this the yeah. other night, how it's like that's that's a that's kind of a negative way to put it. But depending on what you mean by it, I could say I would want to call yes. it fulfillment theology. That's exactly right. It's not replacement; it's fulfillment, and it and it's taking seriously. Like we're told in Romans that we are grafted in to that same root of jet the, the yeah, root of Jesse. Olive tree. Yeah. Romans four sixteen. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may rest on grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Yeah. He is the father of us all. Yeah. Yes, right. us Gentiles say Abraham is my spiritual father. Yeah. Exactly. We are now a part, all part of the same body. Right. And so, in that way, if you mean the church has replaced Israel, you say that's a weird way to put it. Especially because, like, when did the church start? You're looking at Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people repent and believe, all Jews. Yeah. Like, like, like what, is yeah, this, yeah. what is this replacement that yeah, is going exactly on right. there? It's like, well, that, Jews replaced with Jews. Well, and, and I think it fails to see, it fails to answer correctly the question, when did the church begin? Yeah. Adam. Right. Adam. Yeah. Like, that's when it began. Like, yes. God with his people. Right. You know? It, by grace. I will save you. Yeah, I'm exactly. Gonna, yeah, you, exactly. Your, your fig leaves suck. I'm going to make you some real... Some leather. <laughs> some leather. Some leather. Yes. Yeah. How this, this really, um, where, where the rubber meets the road here, and, and I, we probably won't go off on this tangent, but how do we understand our children? Yeah. How does... Yeah. And this is where it really matters. There is a massive identity crisis 
mm-hmm. in the country right now. Yes. And, and and I would argue it's because the covenant head of home has not failed often to give a covenant identity to their children. That's right. Right. Saying, God, you are God's child and you have covenant responsibilities mm. now. Yes. Um, and that and then I think this comes back to where we started is about when we talked about Calvinistic soteriology is that I think a lot of times Presbyterian type people were very surprised for young restless reform types to take this in and then to not go all the way mm-hmm. and to say so you're saying that God decides who gets to be saved. Mm-hmm. And he's in control of who are the elect and that this is ultimately foundationally in God Mm. as you read in the scriptures and Driscoll and everyone else is over there nodding their head and saying yes. And then you just want to follow up with like, and how many times does he say, I will be a God to you and to your children after you Mm. is that like, that is then the, the dividing line I think between a lot of uh, people in this camp is to say, I do agree that salvation is entirely of God, but that, they fail to appropriate those promises that God says, I will be a God to you and to your children after you. Mm, right. It is, it is, it is not in the idea that we're populating hell, that Christians have children right. yeah. is that this is, you know, yes, they have to make it their own. Yes. They have to grow up in faith and have age appropriate repentance and confession sure. and articulation of their faith as they are able. But that, that doesn't, that, that doesn't then say that we we say by birth they're unsaved mm-hmm. that, that it, if it is God's to give to whom he will, and he has said, I will give it to you and to your children after you, we should take him at his word. Well, there's the, I mean, you, so yeah, let's, this is the, this is the distinction in the dark roast. We'll finish, we'll kind of yeah. wrap up here yeah. with the distinction between the reformed Baptist dark roast and the uh, Presbyterian side of the dark roast, which in our denomination Allows for both, right? Which yes. I love that, and it, I think that's what I love about that is that it recognizes where we are in time. Mm-hmm. Yes, that what we like the walls of Jerusalem are be are besieged right now, yeah, right? And so like, we need to, yeah. If you're yeah. gonna wait till your kids are nine or thirteen or five or whatever until you have them, you know, articulate enough faith that they're gonna pass that you're willing to get them baptized, great. Come on. Let's, let's fight. That, let's, let's fight. Yeah, let's, let's, let's fight let's, and build not yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. When I was just talking about my one of my best friends in the world, yeah. we have gone separate directions on the baptism issue, and he's gone Reformed Baptist, and I've gone Pado Baptist. And we are so like we last night we were saying, man, I'm so thankful that we can worship at the, and right. serve and at the same church. Yes. Pass the bread to one another. Exactly. Right. You are one body. Yeah. But exactly. we also both said. I get why it's in the past, it's been a dividing factor. In yeah. fact, it's, and we also said that probably in 100, 150 years, it could be again. We'll, it probably should be again. And yeah. that's, and that can be good. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we hate each other or anything like that, but it means that we have strong beliefs about where children are children included in the covenant by nature of natural generation or yeah. not. Right. Um, are they, and it gets into, and this will be helpful for a lot of Reformed Baptists. They, the cat we have a category for someone who is a part of the covenant but is not regenerate. So you can be a Christian in name, in, yeah, by birth, yeah, but not regenerate. Yeah, we just don't know. That's what I would want to say. We we it's not that you're not regenerate. We don't make a judgment. We, we just right. agree with what God has said. And yeah, that is His working in His. Right. Time. It's John three. It's a mystery. Regeneration. It's, and it's, is, West, and it's nice to have the confession because yes. Yes. you go to. I think it's 
chapter 28.6 about how we understand yeah. the timing of right. these things with yeah. baptism. And they do a good job of right. articulating that. And it's funny. So I was, I would have been reformed Baptist. I, I the, the slide in was to, Ooh, confessions. This makes sense. Oh, totally. I'm looking at the, the 1689, all this kind of stuff. And then I get introduced to like two solid arguments for baptizing my baby. And I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> Am I about to be a Presbyterian? Uh-oh. And I got to baptize him. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. That's, awesome. right. that's right. And so, and so, uh, I think you you guys talk about the the men of Issachar, mm-hmm. men who understood the times. Yeah. We're in the times right now where it's if you are confessional and you're Calvinistic and you're covenantal, yeah. let's link arms. Right. Let's go to work building, defending, mm-hmm. and expanding the kingdom of God. Amen. And then once we've fought off the orcs, <laughs> gotta have the Lord of the Rings reference at least <laughs> once. Right. At least once. Well, you know? Once yeah. it comes deep is done, we'll what? go back to Lothlorien and work it out. That's so. exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And so, But for now, me and Daniel Margheim can worship together Amen. and t- break bread at the same church. And uh, and w- in future episodes, we're really going to dive into yeah. uh, that distinction in baptism and try to give that steel man. Maybe we'll have James White on to give us. <laughs> no, that would be too scary. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're, we'll go through the baptism question right now. I'll give I'll give a tiny little teaser into it for why I tr- yeah. transitioned because that's the distinction in the dark roast reform for us is the whether or not we get our babies wet. And for me, it came down to the question became. Uh, where is the burden of proof lie? So for me, I thought the burden of proof lies on the pedo Baptist who wants to baptize their baby. Right. Because this I don't new, see this weird in the New Catholic Testament. Thing. Yeah. Where is it happening in the New Testament? Yeah, I don't see it. Show it to me in the New Testament. That's what I yeah. constantly understood. But then whenever I realized that, wait, okay, why is the burden of proof there when in the old covenant, children were included? That was the nature of circumcision. It's not about the question of baptism. That's the wrong question. It's the question of whether or not children are covenant inclusion, covenant inclusion. And so for me, when I realized in the old covenant, children were included. Now, are we saying that now in the new covenant, children are now excluded? And there was a category in the old covenant, Romans eight for they were Israel, but not true Israel by faith. Mm -hmm. So there was Israel, a part of the covenant, but were not true Israel by faith. And I was like, Oh, so maybe there's Christians who are who who apostatize. There's mm-hmm. a category now for Christians who apostatize who were not true Christians of the faith. We know they were not of us because they went out from us, those kind of things. But when I realized the burden of proof lies on the person who's saying there's a change from the old covenant administration of the uh um circumcision. Cir- circumcision uh, what is that? The sign of the covenant. Yeah, the sign of the covenant being circumcision. Yeah. And then in the new covenant, that being baptism. Right. The person who's saying that that changed, yeah. that's the person where the burden of proof is on. Right, to, Not, come back, to come back to Acts 2. Yeah. All of you repent and believe, and this is the promises for you and for your children after you, he says. And then, oh, but by the way, there's this new difference now that has just started, just, you know, hot off the presses, just tweeted that <laughs> your kids are not included. And imagine, right. like, right. when when one change, the change of a, what would be even a smaller deal, which was uh, the circumcision not being mandatory anymore, Yeah. when that changed, how much ink was spilled right. over explaining that and yeah. reinforcing Half that? the New Testament. But, I mean, if, if you know, Apollos is holding his, not Apollos, let's give a Jewish name because he would have been Jewish on Pentecost, you know, if, if, some, if this man is holding his baby... And all of a sudden, he finds out. Hey, by the way, um, little little Peter, little Solomon, little here, Solomon yeah. is a uh, <laughs> little, yeah, uh, little Solomon is not included now. I mean, would they? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean that's J.C. Ryle's point. Is there would have been nothing 
more scandalous. Yes, to right. How much ink would have been spilled to explain that? Yeah. And yeah. the fact that it's not mentioned at all, mm-hmm. right, in explicit terms, the change from that right. to the old covenant to the new covenant. And you don't want arguments of silence to be your bread and butter, but that's a big one. Well, the, the <laughs> argument of silence to me became who? Well, now who has the burden of proof? Is it the person who needed the ch- who is claiming there's been a change, right. or the person who's right. claiming that it's the same? Yeah. Well, but but what I'm saying is that that is a a Massive silence. Epic silence. Right. <laughs> yeah, and again, and that, that idea that yeah. the New Testament only has pictures of adult baptism, we would quibble and say the Philippian jailer's sure, sure, family, sure. Acts chapter 2. It's not clear it's, either way. It's not clear that it's way. But so, but then the same thing, we can explain that today, is that when the gospel goes into some new area that mm-hmm. there have been no believers, it's all convert baptism. Right. That right. is what happens when the same situation that happened in the New Testament happens now. We simply don't have now. a second generation example. Right. In the New Testament, yeah. Right. yeah. And so, all right, that's a teaser for the baptism yeah. episode. Yeah. That's, um, that's going to be fun. That's gonna. We'll probably do a series, even I'm going to get some interviews with people and get yeah. other Reformed Baptists on here. Like, yeah. maybe I can get Joel Webbin out here to... Yeah, go tip for tat a little bit. Yeah, um, not even debate. I actually just want to get here. them to to lay it out for mm-hmm. for our audience because there's a ton of our people. Maybe even most of my audience on Twitter is going to be Reformed Baptists. Mm. So, um, all right. So let's finish up this episode. We we've gone long just for you, but I know you guys are eating it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're on like three times speed at this point. <laughs> yeah, like let's wrap it up, boys. <laughs> um, so uh, the reason we've gone through all this again, is because we believe that the cure for our cultural rot is reformation of the word of God. And we've seen, we've seen how men who adhere to this, Mm -hmm. they were able to withstand the onslaught of the tumors we talked about before. Um, This armor of God worked. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Right. Um, And so, so let's, let's sum it up with the, the three C's we talked about Calvinistic soteriology, God is sovereign over salvation. Yes. That we've got to get back to that. Yeah. We've got to get back to that as a church. Um, the confession, the creeds and confessions, we need guardrails. Right. We need guardrails. Um, and we don't need to reinvent the church. And we right. don't need to reinvent need the church. To we need to be connected yeah. to history. We yes. need to be connected to our past and and not despise our fathers. Right. Um, and then lastly, we need to understand our our Bibles. That's Whole what covenant Bible. theology Whole is. Yeah. It's understanding how to read and interpret our Bibles in light of the grand narrative of salvation. Cover to cover. And that all the promises of God are yes and amen. I mean, the, the including to our children. Right. Come on, guys. I've come on, guys. My church, one, one of my desires is to take an ax to the dam that has clogged up the Old Testament promises. Right. Um, the and, other 71% of the Bible. Right. Just yeah. let that flow down. Mm, yeah. Mm, right. Mm. And, and I, again, when we do little tit for tat jokes, kind of like that, we love our Reformed yeah. Baptist brothers and... Oh, yeah. And there are really good arguments. I mean, James White is probably the smartest guy I've seen. You know, it's like in, it, he's solid with his arguments. And so there's good arguments for both sides, and we'll get into those in the yeah. future episodes. But until then, we hope this has been a blessing to you. And our charge for you is that you would go build, defend, and expand the kingdom of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.